It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Dominich podcast brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope that you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one and share it with a friend if you find it of interest. Today, I have a conversation with Matt Kranick. He is someone who I've talked to many times over the years. Uh, he's an expert when it comes to foreign policy. He's served uh, in uh, multiple roles uh, in administrations and is someone who can weigh in on what's going on when it comes to China, when it comes to Russia, and when it comes to our general challenges around the globe. Matt Kranig, coming up next. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Matt Kranick, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Uh, are we going to have a situation where Russia actually uses a nuke in Ukraine? Well, Ben, it's always a pleasure to be back, and, and I wish I had um, better news, but uh, <laughs> I think the, the world is closer to uh, nuclear use now than it's been probably in our in our lifetimes. I, I've been mm -hmm. saying, I think, a 20% chance that Putin uses nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Do you think that that's something that has been diminished at all by the Biden administration's policies toward Ukraine and toward Russia? Or do you think that they have accelerated the likelihood of that? It's been a mixed bag. Um, you know, early on, I think the Biden administration's uh, signaling was uh, you know, making things worse. You know, Biden saying the U.S. military option is off the table altogether in Ukraine. You know, maybe that's good policy, but that's not something we want to tell Vladimir Putin. Uh, we want him to worry about that. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, John Kirby, an SC spokesperson, said uh, if Putin uses nuclear weapons, that would be really bad for him because radioactivity might blow back into Russia. And I remember thinking, Putin doesn't care about that. He's perfectly willing. To <laughs> not you know, even a little bit. <laughs> not even a little bit. But, you know, Jake Sullivan on the Sunday shows maybe three weeks ago was, I, I thought, was really good. He said there would be catastrophic consequences. There would be a decisive U.S. response. And so I think the kind of tough but vague threats are the, are the right way to go. Make, make Putin fear the worst. Um, make him worry. Well, this is a core question that I have for you, though, because the, the general impression has been that the Biden administration has backed off of the typical approach to deterrence policy going back decades um, that says, you know, any kind of use of nuclear weapons is unacceptable and would, and would result in an immediate response uh, that would be, you know, equally, uh, you know, on that same level. The Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, a number of other places have all reported that the message that has been sent to Russia has been, if you use a nuke, then the United States will engage to a greater degree in the war effort in Ukraine. They will, you know, uh, supply more weapons. They will, you know, participate in terms of uh, flyovers. They will do all these other things. 
which is not the same, obviously, as normal deterrence policy. Do you think that's the wise move? Yeah, I guess I'd make two points. One, the fact that this is in Ukraine, uh, a non-ally, does make things more complicated. You know, if it was Putin nuking Poland or the UK or Japan, sure. I think our policy is clear. The, the fact that this, you know, we don't have a defense commitment to Ukraine makes things um, complicated. And, um, you know, if, if Putin, we've already said there would be catastrophic consequences if Putin uses nuclear weapons. So if, you know, this reporting is right and what we would essentially do is more of the same, more sanctions, uh, more arms to the Ukrainians. You know, I think this would be like Obama's red line in Syria uh, from 10 years ago, but much, much worse. You know, I don't think anybody thinks more sanctions is really catastrophic consequences. So no. I think Putin would look at this and say, essentially, I got away with this. Let's use two or three or, or 10 nuclear weapons. I think Kim Jong-un might say, hey, we can use nuclear weapons now. There's no real consequences. So, so I do think that our, if Putin used nuclear weapons, our response would need to be tougher than just uh, more of the same. Uh, I want to shift to the Chinese sort of uh, focus. The experience that I think a lot of people had was looking at that uh, footage of Hu Jintao uh, being removed from that meeting uh, and trying to decipher what that meant. What did it mean to you? Well, the big uh, takeaway for me is is it shows that uh, she is um, in charge and the mm -hmm. most powerful dictator in China since Mao Zedong. Uh, and so I think um, he's eliminating, eliminating all competition, including his uh, predecessors. Uh, and I think it means for the United States that this likely will mean uh, an even more confrontational Chinese foreign policy. And so the United States and its allies need a serious strategy to deal with uh, the threats that she and China will pose. Mike Gallagher has written a piece in uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, talking about the need for an anti-Navy when it comes to uh, the, the Taiwanese experience. Uh, tell me, what do you think the United States posture ought to be toward Taiwan at this moment? It, learning the lessons that we have uh, from Ukraine about the need to make uh, a, a potential, you know, uh, you know, something that could, could be scarfed up by an enemy, uh, you know, potentially more prickly, uh, more difficult to uh, to deal with. Uh, what should we be doing now uh, in terms of our lessons learned from that? Yeah, well, Congressman Gallagher is great. He's a Georgetown PhD, so I'm proud of that. And uh, he and I worked <laughs> together on a presidential campaign in 2016, so I, I liked his article. Um, you know, we got into war in Ukraine essentially because Putin miscalculated. Uh, he thought it was going to be easy, and, and so he went ahead and attacked. And I'm afraid that she may make the same miscalculation in Taiwan. He may think this is going to be easy. Let's go ahead and do it. So I think U.S. strategy needs to be to disabuse him of that notion. So the first step is, is having a clear declaratory policy. And, and the Biden administration has really not, not followed through on that. You know, the president says something, uh, you know, uh, one day and then his White House walks it back uh, immediately thereafter. So, so that's that incoherent messaging is a problem. Um, but then the, the other piece is that we do need a military strategy that could prevent uh, the Chinese Navy from attacking Taiwan. So I think Congressman Gallagher is exactly right on that. The, the only way they're going to take Taiwan is if they move large numbers of uh, troops over on ships. And so if we have the ability, as uh, e even Obama's uh, Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Michelle Flournoy, the way she put it, is we need the ability to sink the Chinese Navy in 72 hours. 
and I think that's right conceptually, but we're not we're not building the military to do that right now. Mm. Uh, you know, one of the things that is obviously a a uh, talking point comes up very frequently within the world of of uh, Fox News commentary and and others as well uh, is that we have a military right now that is embracing wokeness to the detriment of its ability to fight wars. That essentially. It is, uh, you know, uh, you know, engaged in all of these different kind of social justice or signaling kind of experiences uh, in ways that are a detriment to uh, their ability to function as they are needed. And I have to say, I don't think I'm betraying any confidence in saying this, that having brothers and brothers-in-law who serve respectively in the U.S. Army uh, the U.S. Navy and in the Marines, I hear this constantly as something that they complain about. Um, and they complained about it, you know, regardless of what the uh, media attention was to it. How do we correct something like that? How do we readjust? Because I think the vast majority of the American people want a military that can function and that can do its job. Well, I think the way you change it is with um, new leadership. And if you look back to the 2018 National Defense Strategy under uh, Secretary Mattis, one of the key themes was lethality, uh, that the Department of Defense needs to be focused essentially on killing people and breaking things. And, um, you know, that's what they do best. And so it's not a place to carry out big social experiments. It, it is uh, should be focused on defending the country. And um, I think it might take a new administration, a new secretary of defense to um, prioritize lethality again. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I certainly hope that that's something that's prioritized. You know, looking forward, we have a situation in these current midterms uh, where you're likely to see a vast number of outsiders elected to the U.S. Senate, uh, some of them who have foreign policy views that are vague, some of them who have foreign, foreign policy views that are distinct in their break with Washington, D.C., how much do you think that they will actually change the foreign policy perspective uh, of uh, the the Senate and of Washington in terms of, you know, you know, the simple challenge of the fact that they have, you know, three or four or five members, depending on on the outcome of this election, uh, and not, you know, obviously a plurality even. My guess, maybe my hope, is that their views will change more than their views will change Washington. And I say that because I think that, you know, despite the mistakes that the United States has made, its overall uh, strategy and approach to the world is basically uh, the right one. And I think when they get to Washington, they build uh, foreign policy teams, they, they talk to their colleagues, they get briefings from, you know, Pentagon and elsewhere. Uh, I think they'll understand the, the threats, the real threats this country faces and the need uh, for the United States to take an active role in the world. Because if, if we withdraw, it's not goodness that's going to be filling the vacuum. It's going to be our enemies who uh, you know, want, want uh, bad things for us. Uh, so so I'm, I'm hopeful they'll learn. Last question, the uh, progressive caucus of uh, the U.S. House, you know, had this uh, letter that they put out regarding Ukraine, uh, one that was, uh, you know, basically it, it became controversial. It was withdrawn. They said that it essentially was uh, released without approval. 
What did you think of their perspective on that? And what do you think about the likelihood that that is going to have any kind of truck post-election with this White House? You know, we all know the lesson of Hitler uh, at, at Munich. You know, we tried to appease a dictator and it didn't work. And, and essentially that's what this letter calls for. Hey, let's just give Putin some, some of the, some of Ukraine. Let's let's sign a peace treaty and, and get this to settle down. And I think there's no reason to believe uh, that will work. If, if we sign a ceasefire now, Putin will just rearm and, and try to take the rest of Ukraine later. So I do think we want a, a strong uh, support for, for Ukraine. You know, a president like Reagan would have loved to uh, have Ukrainians, you know, just destroy the Russian military for him. You know, that's what we're doing right now. It's a good, good opportunity for us to weaken one of our biggest um, enemies. Uh, I don't know that the Biden administrations, um, ba- basically, they've done the right thing on Ukraine, but two months too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, um, uh, I, I guess I, I'm basically guessing that's going to continue. So they're not going to go as far as the Progressive Caucus wants, but um, I, I think they have been a little little too cautious. We'll certainly see uh, you know, where they go from here. Uh, thank you so much, Matt, for joining me today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Ben. More of the Ben Dominish podcast right after this. So I wanted to give you my own perspective on what's going to happen when it comes to the upcoming midterms. I certainly think that it's going to be a very interesting night. A lot of potential outcomes that I think could surprise us. We could see, I think, you know, potentially Patty Murray going down in Washington state. She's up by either one or three, depending on which poll numbers you look at. I think you could also see a situation where, you know, the Georgia race could go to a runoff where Herschel Walker has to take on Raphael Warnock, perhaps without the benefit of having Brian Kemp's coattails. And I also think that, you know, a state that's going to be, I think, very difficult to analyze uh, going into uh, the election night situation is Arizona, where Blake Masters and Carrie Lake uh, are obviously kind of going at at different levels. Carrie Lake has been very successful. Uh, She's figured out uh, a way to appeal to general election voters uh, in ways that I think are surprising to a lot of people. And then on the flip side, Blake Masters, while being someone who has, you know, had a lot of money behind him, had a lot of investment in his effort uh, to take out Mark Kelly, uh, is perhaps someone who's lagging a bit as opposed to uh, running ahead of things. I have to make a bet on this. And and I, you know, take betting very seriously. Uh, I'm supposed to have a conversation tonight, in fact, uh, over dinner where I have to decide where I'm going to go. And... The under over is set at 53. So, you know, the expectation being, you know, that's what you would get if you had Republicans run the field in terms of Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. I'm really torn on this one. I think it might be 52. I might take the under on it, which is weird because I'm taking the over definitely when it comes to the House. The House, I think, is. You know, not just a foregone conclusion, but I think you could potentially see Republicans win almost 50 seats in terms of uh, their performance. But, you know, look, uh, it's it's a difficult thing when it comes to the Senate to be able to pull off a string, a clean sweep of victories in a number of difficult states uh, with challenging uh, political dynamics. I mean, look at a state like Colorado, for instance, where Joe O'Day is uh, you know putting on I think a, an impressive effort against Michael Bennett, 
But he's also someone who, you know, is hampered by the fact that the state is blue. And, and you know, you look at someone like Adam Laxalt, who's a very impressive, you know, political candidate in Nevada, but also someone who's up against the old uh, Harry Reid regime uh, when it comes to the unions and the, and the different uh, voters who are activated by that. And so it, it's going to be an interesting night. I look forward to covering it from New York with Fox and, uh, and giving you my own insight to the degree that I can about what's going on. But it really is something that I think is difficult to predict at this juncture when it comes to the Senate outcome. Republicans are going to take the Senate. I'm very confident of that. But the number of seats that they actually have to work with, which, as you know, can be really significant in terms of, of the way that they perform under Mitch McConnell's leadership, uh, is really up in the air at this point, and I'm just not sure about it. I'm Ben Dominich. You've been listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich Podcast. We'll be back soon with more to dive back into the fray. Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.